by nature, every one of us starts with ourselves. So that, that's always our starting point. And the result of that in community will always lead to conflict. You know, when you start with yourself and I start with myself, we're going we're gonna to have a bust up. Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today it's my absolute delight to have Simon Matthews returning as a guest. It's his third discussion with me, and this actually marks three whole episodes that I've managed to go without calling him dad on air, so I'm actually pretty happy with that. It should go without saying that I'm really deeply indebted to this man when it comes to my theology of and practice within Christian education. And it's always a pleasure to sit down and speak with him. I said at the end of last year that I had two focal points for this year, if, if you can have two focal points. I wanted to look at two different things. I want to do some good thinking about teacher burnout. And I want to look at managing conflict in schools. And today we're going to focus on conflict. But I wonder if we aren't at least tangentially also looking at burnout when we look at conflict. A number of ex-teachers I speak to speak of being in a hostile or dysfunctional work environment and that leading to them leaving the profession. Of course, you can't draw a straight line between conflict and burnout always, but I'd imagine if you were to ask all the teachers that left the teaching profession why they left, well, conflict would be a significant slice of the pie. In this discussion, we look at how we as image bearers, as members of a Christian community, can approach conflict. Of course, conflict is inevitable. It's also an opportunity for growth and something that we can move through to the glory of God and for the good of one another. Just a note here, we're actually going to dive in halfway through the discussion. We talked for a lot longer, but I ended up giving a bit of a haircut. As always, know that Simon and I prayed for you before we hit record. We prayed that when conflict inevitably arises, that you would not waste the opportunity to learn the valuable lesson God teaches you and to walk in the good works God prepares for you. I know you're a man who's dealt with conflict in your time as a school leader, and in some ways that's no surprise. Anyone who's been at a school will know that there's just there just is conflict. That's the natural result of people working together. I want to launch in through a proverb. Uh, last year, I tried to read one chapter of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters. Mm-hmm. Often, months have 30, 31 days. And so it's a really natural fit. One of the Proverbs that kept standing out to me over and over again is Proverbs 14.4. It says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but the abundance of crops comes by the strength of the ox. Uh, and so there's that idea there that, that if you want a nice, clean manger... You can get that, but without any oxen, all right? You can't have any of these big, heavy movers. But if we actually desire to do something big, like reap an abundant harvest or maybe have a thriving Christian school, there's actually going to be some mess involved. Now, the question is this, Simon. Do you think that conflict is an inevitable part of Christian education? Uh, Look, I do. I think it's an inevitable part of any community. Uh, You know, you get more than two people in a room, you're going to have conflict. And so family, church, school, um, footy club, you know, local fire brigade, whatever. Um, It is inevitable. Uh, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it is inevitable. Um, And the, the, the reason for that, and, you know, this is not rocket science, but the reason for that is because 
by nature, every one of us starts with ourselves. So that, that's always our starting point. And the result of that in community will always lead to conflict. You know, when you start with yourself and I start with myself, we're going we're gonna to have a bust up. Um, so yes, it's inevitable. And, and there can be a bit of doom and gloom in that. You know, you can drop your head and, you know. But I think the thing we want to keep saying to ourselves and to each other is that even though it's an inevitable part of Christian, even Christian community, um, we actually can have a hopeful response to it. That's, that's the thing. Jesus dealt with in, in complete and full terms. He dealt with our greatest conflicts, which of course was our enmity with God. So he's done that and he's made a way that allows us in humility and in obedience in Christ and under the power of his spirit to daily deal with a conflict that we experience with each other. So that's our hopeful response to the inevitable. Um, so, yeah, we certainly don't go looking for it, but every time it comes, and we don't have to wait long, uh, we can say, okay, God has made a way. Um, and it's our hopeful response to be able to go, thank you, Jesus. Um, we now take hold of that which God has worked out through you, Jesus, uh, to bring resolution to this. Let's press pause on this discussion for a moment. Over the last year or so, some of you have been asking how you can support the Christian Education Podcast. Well, let me give you three ways, all starting with S. The first S is simply to subscribe. So that's just a setting on your podcast app, actually. And if you do that, that helps me probably more than you think. The second S is to share. So if you really love one of these episodes, why not push it through your social media? You can even send it to an educator directly if you think they'd benefit from it. And the third S is to get in touch. Now, I know that's not an S, but let's not get bogged down in the details here. If there's someone who you think would make a great contribution to this podcast, why not send me their name? Hey, you can even dob in yourself. That's just fine by me. So if you're able to do those three S's, to subscribe, share, and get in touch. Well, that will help me do the very same thing that we're all trying to do here, to see God's kingdom grow through Christian education. Having said that, let's get back to the discussion. It is interesting to think about it being an inevitable part of a community, only because so many of us are so scared of conflict. We can have this big knee-jerk reaction. Uh, Many of us have the tendency to actually avoid conflict at all costs. Mm. And in some ways, that's just kicking the can down the road, Mm. isn't it? Because you end up putting up with more and more and more until you finally go off like Mount Vesuvius. You explode everywhere or, you know, or you just leave the job or this Mm. sort of thing. Mm. Um, we We can flee from conflict so easily. Do you think conflict, given that we've said it's probably inevitable, the second question, the second natural question, I think, is, is it always negative? Look, I think that's a great question. And look, I what what you described is my natural tendency. I hate conflict. I, I will avoid it like the plague. But as you say, what I then do is I actually head off into really unhealthy other behaviours, uh, avoidance, people pleasing, that sort of stuff. Look, I, I think that there are two scriptures which which are really helpful in this, um, and I, I share these not because 
you know, you go licking your chops ready and waiting for the next Barney. You're not actually looking for conflict, but it's going to come. So when it does, where do we go? You know, it's a verse we all know, Romans 8, 28. Uh, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So the first thing we've got to say in that one is, okay, God, I'm I'm in the midst of conflict. I don't want to be, but I am. Um, Would you please work this out? For good, my good, the good of my community, the good of the other involved. Would you please work that out? So I think that's our starting point. That we can we can almost shun conflict and you know see it as um, as avoid at all costs. And again, we like Paul's exhortation to the churches. You know, we want to be a people of peace. That that that's our starting point. But when we're not, what do we do? We go to the one who. Uh, uses all things, who works out all things for our good. So that's the first thing. The second uh, is a really helpful, I think, um, reading from 1 Corinthians 10, just the end of chapter 10 and, and the beginning of chapter 11, where Paul says this, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. At Cairo Christian School, we've spent some time doing some training through a crowd called PeaceWise, PeaceWise Australia. And, and their little catch cries, are not, catch cries great, and I, I find it really helpful. They actually say conflict is an opportunity. So this whole thing around, oh, avoid conflict at all costs, it's terrible, you know. No, they say, no, no, it's an opportunity. An opportunity for what? The first thing they say, it's an opportunity to glorify God. Well, how do you do that? Well, right in the midst of it, you're saying to God, God, I trust you in this. I trust you. It's not where I want to be. It's not, it's not a good thing. It's not a likable thing, but I'm here. I trust you. I will obey you. I will search the scriptures and I will uh, be reminded of what you call me to do. And, you know, what a great thing that Paul said, um, you know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So th- that's one thing. In the midst of my conflict, I will seek to glorify God. Uh, the second thing that conflict is an opportunity to do is to serve other people. So one of the things we can do there is but is to say, I will use this to serve this person who, like me, is probably responding out of hurt and pain and brokenness. So if that's where they're coming from, one of the things I'm going to do is seek to love and serve and care for them, even in the midst of our conflict. So I think that's the second thing. So Conflict is an opportunity to serve others. And thirdly, it's an opportunity to grow to be like Jesus. By As I confess my sin, as I, uh, I repent of wrong attitudes, as I seek to um, uh, die to self and live to Christ, they are all ways that I'm, I, God is using to make me more like Jesus. So I think, you know, conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, to serve other people and to grow to be like Christ, and 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 I find that little uh, that little framework just enormously helpful. Because you know, surprise, surprise, I I cause and am involved in conflict every day. I really like what you said there about pursuing peace within your community. And you said you'd done some work through a mob called Peacewise, 
I'm going to be trying to um, have a chat with someone mm-hmm. from PeaceWise mm-hmm. later on in this series, this second season of the podcast, mm-hmm. because we're pursuing this theme of how to handle conflict well mm-hmm. in schools. One of the distinctions that has been made, and it came from my friend Jacob Skirk, he's been on the podcast, mm-hmm. and it, look, I've got to tell you, this could be cynical, this might even start <laughs> my own conflict with Skirker. But he can't have come up with this. He has to have heard it from somewhere. It is too good. It is too good. Uh, Maybe he wouldn't even have claimed to come up with it, but it's unreal. So he makes the distinction between uh, being a a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Have you heard of that distinction before? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. So Skirk has has done himself there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, look, the distinction is this. The distinction is this. He he said that a, a peacekeeper is someone who, in a sense, is always sweeping something under the rug. Mm-hmm. So they see the peace that the community has, and in some ways it can be an uneasy mm. peace. There can be a bit of a standoff going on. And any time anything sort of bubbles to the surface, it looks like it might rob that community of its peace, it just gets swept under the carpet. Mm. They just get rid of it. Don't address it. Don't ruin the peace. Mm. You've got this slight tension in the air, but the peacekeeper will be saying, well, that's better than an all-out blow-up. So we're going to continue to do that. Um, Many of us know peacekeepers. Probably many of us are peacekeepers. Mm. We just don't want these things to come to a head. And the distinction he made was a peacekeeper, um, rather, and the distinction he made was that a peacemaker is someone who actually has the skill and godly ability to bring those discussions out into the open. Mm. And you you look at the grief or the loss or the frustration, you deal with it before the throne of God, you deal with it knowing that God and the heavenly hosts are, are watching you, mm. and you actually restore genuine fellowship there. You actually bring people back together. Mm. The question is, do you, do you think... Um, a peace, having a peacekeeper or being a peacekeeper, mm. not letting anything mm. really come to a head. Mm. Do you think that sort of person is actually, despite all their good intentions, quite damaging mm. for a community? Yeah. Yeah. And again, referring back to peacewise, they call that peace faking. And so instead of peacemaking, we're actually peace faking. We're plastering over the cracks. Uh, we're avoiding hard conflicts. We're um, putting up with uh, inappropriate behaviours. We're letting people treat us badly. But that's better than having a Barney, you know. And so, um, yeah, really unhealthy. And really, as you said right at the beginning, what that does is it... it uh, allows a festering of resentment, of um, poor relationship, which in most cases will and should really blow up into something uh, because, yeah, you're, you're actually denying the poor behaviour that's going on. You're denying the abuse that's there, even low-level abuse. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think uh, your, your question's a good one. Um, it, it, it might get you through to tomorrow, but it doesn't get you through to next year. You know, something's going to crack. So I think you're right. We're far better to actually get some biblical principles in place, have prayer and counselling with people we trust that say, help me to be a really effective and courageous peacemaker so that I can actually go into situations where conflict will come up, armed and ready to have a really good godly response to this uh, uh, for the sake of true peace. So peace is precious. We want to pursue it. We want to work hard for it, spend many calories trying to attain it. We want to pursue it in the right ways. 
what are some of the most common causes of conflict? What are the things within a school community that you think might be most likely to mm. rob us of our peace? So just mm. as you answer, think about perhaps you've got a new teacher going into a school yeah. um, and you go, look, mate, these are the things that you've got to watch out for. Yeah. Well, look, to start with the generic, first of all, I mean, obviously conflict comes when there is a clash of wills, you know, think about that. Um, um, I've upset my wife by saying that the light, you know, the light will be off by 10 o'clock because she's really tired. I've said, yeah, 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 we'll, you know, be in bed, the light will be off. I actually, and I've given her that my word on that, you know, but I actually want to catch the last five overs of the BBL so I stay up late. It's really, you know, a clash of wills that it's at its core, you know, um, we, we see that all the time. So I think that in a really generic way is um, what all, all that conflict is, is it's two wills coming together and, and, and sparring. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting when we think about that within the school context, um, the, the type of situation where I see, and it's predominantly low-level conflict, uh, you, you, you really wouldn't sort of go to the Supreme Court on this one, but the low-level conflict is where we talk about managing change. And I think schools, some schools do it very well, um, and I've seen it done well, but you've said already today that you know you've got to spend a lot of time and energy you've got to be well planned you've got to be well thought out you've got to be well you've got to understand people well and seek to be understood well by people so i think any type of change management will be the sort of the bread and butter conflict situation for a school so it could be a new curriculum uh, it could be um you know a new way of using uh, a learning management system it could be a new you know it could be the starting up of plcs you know whatever um i think that that seems to be the place where um people want will resist the change based on their own desires, their own wills, even their own weaknesses and fears. You know, actually, don't, I don't want to go into that. I'm not very good at technology, so therefore I don't, don't feel comfortable with that, you know. So I think that that's really the space where we often see that. Um, so I think that's more the, the school community. Uh, I'm talking there about colleagues. So, you know, any time we've got change, I think... You, you've actually got to be thinking, okay, how do we work this through well to minimise conflict and where conflict does come, how will we work it through well? In regards to parents, um, I think it's a little bit different. I think where the conflict comes with educators and parents will be mostly around expectations of students you know and again I think um, and it's often uh, it, it can often be an educator and a parent both holding very high expectations of students that is different so I think uh, often with a parent a parent won't often come in because they're upset with the color of the front you know the front fence they're going to come in because well they don't think that their student has has received the type of treatment uh, that is due to them and therefore they're upset and therefore that's often where the conflict will come so I think it's often around expectations of students um, and then obviously you know teacher student um, I think there again it's often to do with um, expectations about how the community will live or be 
Um, and so in each of those, if you think of the you know managing of the organisation, particularly change, with parents managing of expectations and with students setting rules and, and living by agreed expectations, they're all situations where you can be very proactive, where you can be going in uh, being really clear about things, listening well, consulting well. Um, I love that uh, um, Stephen Covey idea. Um, Stephen Covey in his uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, habit five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And, and I find that such a helpful uh proactive posture in, in any of those. If you think about a colleague who wants to come and say, listen, I'm really unhappy with this new timetabling um, um, uh, system. I don't think it, it, it's equitable. I think, you know, whatever. You think about the parent who's come in to have a, have, a, have a discussion because they really feel that their student in grade five is not being catered for in the area of need. You think about a, yourself and a student who's, who's coming to you upset because they felt that the assignment set didn't really allow them to shine or whatever. Any of those. Um, if our starting point is uh, let's seek first to understand, then to be understood, um, well, I think that that even in itself you can predict that there's going to be conflict, but there's actually a posture you can take. There's a proactive posture. I'm meeting with Mrs. Jones this afternoon. The first thing I'm going to do is seek to understand Mrs. Jones and not just what's your problem like, you know, why is it a problem? Um, why do you think this is such a big issue? Um, where do you think things went wrong? That sort of stuff. Help me understand this. Uh, very, my personal experiences I want to get onto the front foot I want to tell her I want to read the rules I want to you know explain the situation I want to tell her that her son is actually not an angel dot 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 whereas the the thing that seems to not not peace fake it's not about you know I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, paper over the cracks here but I am going to listen and seek to understand and make that my starting place and I think in any of those situations, students, colleagues or parents, that principle is actually a really helpful one. And when it comes to conflict in a school community, another proverb that I found really illustrative is Proverbs 27.14. And the principle that I get from this proverb is that there can even be conflict where no one has sinned. Mm. And even when there's good intentions on both sides of the aisle, that often happens just because uh, not, yep. not even just sin but personal differences. So the yep. proverb itself, Proverbs 27, 14, it says, whoever blesses his neighbour with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. So if, I, if I'm a huge fan of my neighbour, I love him to bits and I get up outside his bedroom window in the morning and I say, God bless you, um, I hope you're sleeping well, have a fantastic day, may the glory of the Lord shine upon you. Yep. He's going to be going, you <laughs> idiot, you idiot. So I've, I've got up full of beans, full of love for my neighbour, yeah. but it's actually counted as a cursing. Mm. Like it, it's something that is received terribly. Yep. And and I, I haven't necessarily sinned there, mm. but it's just our different personalities, perhaps an unwise execution mm. that might go into creating some conflict where there's two people who've just got nothing but the best of intentions. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, I think, you know, the key word that you said in that little sequence was wisdom. You know, it, the thing we need in spades when dealing with conflict, yes, yes, you need skill. Yes, you need to be trained. Yes, you need to have a good biblical framework. 
But above everything, you actually need wisdom, which we know starts by us fearing and revering the Lord. That's our starting posture. Um, before I uh, get ready to have a crack at my neighbor, the first thing I've got to do is bend the knee and say to God, God, um, the only way through this is wisdom. The only way to have wisdom is to know and fear and love and serve you. That this is where I start. Um, wisdom is enormously important, Paul, because I think um, what wisdom does is it it tells me how to proceed. And sometimes, and you've given a good example of it, um, you know, sometimes in conflict, the best way through is to have a laugh and a bit of a bit of a wisecrack and move on. You know, just someone does something, it really gets up your nose. It could turn into conflict, but I'm choosing to uh, use deft humour to get through it. Uh, another one could be a quiet word on the side. Another one could be um, the opportunity to reiterate a school policy. Another one might be a mediation meeting. There's a whole range of choices that we can be making. The question is, which is the right one in this situation? And as you've alluded to, sometimes actually no one's done anything wrong. They've, they've had a, a, a good heart. Maybe they've executed poorly. Maybe they were unwise. Maybe the timing was wrong. There's a whole range of things. And sometimes the best thing there is to not you know, go through a three-hour mediation meeting. It's just to say, mate, um, uh, love your blessing. Hate the volume. Let's think about that together. You know, whatever. So I, I think wisdom is enormously helpful, particularly in situations where, yeah, there's no clean cut right and wrong. And loving our neighbour in those sorts of situations often means being really attentive, studying, studying and learning about the people mm. you're with. In a previous workplace that I've been a part of, um, we shared an office, and I like to go in early in the morning and just get things done. I like mm. to make sure my emails are in good order. I like mm. to do my big picture thinking. And then for that job, I'd get into my tasks for the day. There'd be other people um, and their way of approaching a work day was come in. Uh, how was your weekend? Did you get to catch up on home and away last night? Mm. And that was the way that they would slide. Mm. So they gradually ease. So our the sort of direction of our workflow, I'd, I'd start really high, high picture, uh, big picture stuff, and then gradually as the day goes on, I'd take my foot off the gas a bit. That's mm. when once, mm. I've, once I'm sure I've gotten all the work done that I want to do, I can take mm. um, some time off. I can have a bit of a yarn, talk about the cricket, yeah. so on. And other people, they're completely backwards. Mm. They're completely mm. backwards. Mm. And that was a situation, again, that no one is sinning here. Mm. Me, try. Try, but you end up with a pretty awkward situation. They're trying to talk to you um, and you're going, man, leave me alone. And mm. you're also having to then be a little bit rude. You're trying to turn away. You're trying to put your headphones on. You're buying a bigger <laughs> set of headphones so everyone realises you're wearing your headphones, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they can, they, if you're not careful, if you mm. don't approach it wisely, mm. two people who just simply approach starting work differently mm. yeah. can end up with some serious conflict. But I think, again, I think the word you used right at the beginning of that was really helpful about the way we love people. Uh, just within the last 12 months, I had a situation where I could feel my hackles going up with a particular person. I could feel that, oh, you know, this person's getting up my nose. They're really irritating me. What do I do? Now, again, the wisdom could be, well, have a conversation, ignore them, uh, change your routine. There's a whole range of things I could do by God's 
prompting, um, I really sensed that God was saying to me, um, ask me for more love. And, and it was interesting. That's all I did. I didn't ever approach them. I didn't ever do anything differently. Uh, but God, in his mercy, gave me a deeper love for that person. And through that conflict, I think, was avoided. Um, so it was great. God, in his mercy, said, I know exactly what you need, Simon. And it's not bigger headphones or a bigger office. It's actually more love. Uh, and when that came, then everything else seemed to melt. So it was great. So as we wrap up, let's just have a quick think about ways that conflict can be handled really poorly. Mm-hmm. So we'll all be in conflict. That's inevitable. It will be happening to us. And I'm almost thinking a bit of a mental checklist of yourself here. Yeah. And I'm, I'll, I'll kick it off because I've got one that I've found really important. If I'm in conflict, and again, it happens regularly in a school with a student or other staff members or a parent, one of the things I have to watch out for is assuming the motives mm-hmm. of the other people. Mm-hmm. So it can be really easy to take the big leap from saying this is what this person's done and then leap right into it and this is why they've done it. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, To use the example I just used before, um, Paul's turned his back on me and put on his headphones. Mm. Um, that's because he's a disrespectful person mm-hmm. who has no interest in workplace friendships, mm. for example. That would be a case mm. of going from what has happened straight to the motives. Mm. Um, and I have to watch myself doing that as mm. well. It's something that's so easy to do. We naturally want to understand other people. We naturally think of um, motives. And it can be really easy if we're not, if our heart's not right before God, if, if we're not seeking a purity of heart, to automatically impute these negative mm. motives to people. You can quite easily end up in a situation when that gets to the extreme end of the scale where mm. everyone's against you all the mm. time. It is yep. a conspiracy, global conspiracy. Mm. Um, mm. Everyone's trying to have a crack at you. Mm. What else should people be wary of mm. when they're in conflict? How, how can conflict be handled badly? Mm. Mm. Yeah. A couple of things there, I think, and again, I, I arrive at this by, by reflecting on times I haven't handled conflict well. One of the things that I think happens when I don't handle conflict well is I am less aware of the emotional and even physical uh, signs that I'm in conflict. Uh, And so I think being aware, um, when am I frustrated? Uh, When when do I feel my blood pressure going up? When, uh, When am I anxious about a meeting? I think being able to be aware of those sort of physical and emotional uh, um, indicators is really, really important. So if you're ignoring that, I think that's going to exacerbate the situation. Uh, the second one, and it's really easy to do, but to make it all about me, and the assumption one's a good one. You know, well, you know, here I am flogging myself for this person, and all they want to do is waste my time. You know. Um, Hardly ever, when I look back over my life, hardly ever has someone intentionally come in to make my life hard. You know, hardly ever. It's it's they've had at at best they've not even thought about it. At at, at best they uh, sort of uh, most of the time they've actually come to actually work for my good. It's just that we haven't hit it off. And so, you know, very, very rare that someone would actually say, I'm going in today to make Simon's life hell, and that's my job for today. Um, so the, the, the thing that exacerbates conflict is me making it about me, you know, um, woe is me. The third thing, I, I think, um, is when I, particularly big 
conflict, when it becomes really twisted, knotted conflict, um, is not sharing it with others. I find it's really helpful. And that's not about going and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to get you on my side. I'm, you know, I'm going to get you batting for me. Uh, it, that's, can you help me? Can you help me think this through? Can you help me understand how I can have a better response? And the last couple of times when I've been in really um, long-term, twisted, um, detailed conflict, I've actually found it really helpful to go to someone. So, uh, you know, in in response to your question, what makes it worse? Um, just keeping it to myself and just, you know, just stewing on it and, and um, dwelling on it and just having it run through my head all day, um, that's actually going to really exacerbate the situation. So I think there are a few things that I'm becoming increasingly aware of. Um, the, th- the, the final thing for me too is that sometimes, and I get, I get to the point, oh, well, I have got to the point in the past where it's a bit like a mosquito bite. You know, you know you shouldn't scratch it, but gosh, when you scratch it, it feels good. And it's almost like, no, 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 I'm not letting go of this conflict. You know, I, I'm actually most satisfied when I'm just stewing on this person. So actually being able to just let the thing go, whatever that whatever that means, actually working to a point of resolving it, um, and there's always cost in that, but resolving it and not just saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm most satisfied when I'm actually living in misery and I, and I, I love that. I, I, I remember that little uh, saying that, people have which is you know um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die uh, never happens <laughs> you know, I'm the one who's dying I'm the one who's shriveling up um, got to remember that there's also a sense and I've seen this from your example mm. where prayer is incredibly important prayer is incredibly important when going through conflict taking it before the throne of God um, there's the old Martin Luther quote. I think I heard it first from you. He said, sometimes I've got so much to do that I have to pray for three hours mm. in the morning. Mm. You know, So the, when, when we have conflict, it's almost like a part-time job. There's extra stuff on our plate. Mm. And what that means is not that there's less time for our spiritual disciplines, less time for prayer, but that there's actually more time for that. We, we need our roots to sink more deeply into the ground because we're going to be buffeted by all kinds of winds. But there's a very specific piece of advice that I received, which is about actually how you pray when you're in conflict, because it can be really easy, if you're not careful, to pray in a way that makes it worse. Mm. So if I am praying and saying, dear Lord, please help me, Uh, I've got this conflict with Jack in my office, Uh, he just doesn't realise how good my work is in the morning. He has no understanding of these sorts of things. Lord, you know how productive I get. You know that he just completely ignores. What am I doing? I'm stewing. Mm. I'm meditating on my own sorrows. Mm. I'm just It's a big pity party before the throne. Yeah. And there's actually a sense in which if you're caught up in that, it makes a lot of sense to just meditate on other scriptures, start praying through some psalms, come before the throne of God, but don't do it in a way that's just simply rehashing every single wrong anyone has done to you or the exact conflict that you're going through Mm. because that there can be a sense in which that's actually going to be um, unhelpful for you. Prayer is good, but we have to actually watch how we pray when we're coming before God's throne in the midst of conflict. Mm. Mm. One of the 
privileges that I've had in the last couple of years, and, and I think it would be fair to say that certainly 2020 and 2021 were some of the most challenging personally and corporately I'd lived through. And some of the fruit of those two years was a greater awareness of and delving into the process of lament. And um, I'm certainly using a lament-like framework um, uh, uh, when I'm in conflict now. I'm praying that much more. And the three steps are pretty simple. The first is just to be really honest with God, saying, God, uh, Barry and I uh, really seem to be in conflict. Um, I can see it's upsetting. Last time we were together, he he was obviously very anxious and ended up yelling. Um, it, it's really eating me up. I can't sleep at night. So you, you're praying this is the reality. The second thing is, to I find, to then uh, confess to God. I said right at the beginning that God has dealt with our greatest uh, conflict, uh, our enmity with him. So it's a safe bet to say that part of the conflict with Barry will be me. So to actually confess that, um, and sometimes I can tell you exactly what it is. It happened when I actually got, was jealous of Barry and I said something out of turn and then he got head up and whatever. So I can confess that. If I can't think of a specific, I can just say, God, I know in my brokenness and fallenness that I will have contributed and I'm really sorry. And then to have the third part of that prayer being what God promises for us. And so we actually end up starting in... Um, Starting in confession, uh, starting in stating the reality, moving into confession, and thirdly, um, moving into uh, faith statements. God, you promise dot dot dot, and praise in that as well. And so we actually end up at a point of praising God for who He is and what He promises to do with my conflict. And I found so that's it's similar to, but not exactly the same as a lament process. But it's helpful. I find it really helpful because it moves me from where I'm at to where God uh, has called me to be in Christ. And I just find that enormously helpful. So yeah, you're exactly right. That type of praying. I mean, I think the other the other praying that God calls us to in conflict is to be praying for the one we are in conflict with. You know, the scriptures talk about praying for our enemies. Um, well, possibly right at this moment, Barry, I may consider Barry an enemy. So um God's already told me what I'm to do for Barry. I'm to pray for him. So get praying. And it's amazing how that melts your heart when you actually start praying for Barry. Because uh, the first thing it does is it, um, it causes me to, to see him and I before the throne as opposed to just him and I, him and I before the throne. Then I actually want to start praying for him. And then when I actually see him, I, you know, I really do have a changed heart for him. Well, this has been a fantastic first foray into the idea of conflict. As I said earlier, this is something I want to be thinking a lot about in 2023, only mm-hmm. because I think it, it impacts our schools greatly. Mm. I mean, you, you look at teacher churn, mm-hmm. uh, losing teachers, losing mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at bad culture. Mm-hmm. All these sorts of things yeah. are often the result of conflict poorly managed. Mm. And so I really have a heart, to, in order to see Christian schools flourish, mm. to actually be thinking about together how can we manage this conflict well? So it's been it's been a delight, Simon, to have you on and to talk about this uh, with you. I look forward to talking to you about this later on in the year. Is there anything else you'd like to add before you take off? 
Only to commend you on identifying this as uh, something that's really core to community. Um, we, we said right at the beginning, conflict will always be there. So if we if we accept that, um, and not everyone will, but if we do, and I do, then what are we going to do about that? How do we respond to that uh, in light of God's goodness and in light of the work of the cross? Uh, how will we uh, respond to the inevitable in a way that is uh, both faithful and fruitful? It's been a pleasure. Simon, thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to uh, talking to you later on in the year. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure.